0: Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Crane. and I'm chatting with producer Fiona Kinsla and writer-director Keith Farrell about their powerful TG Carras series Traumachalic, which hits the small screen on Wednesday the 31st of May at half nine. So thank you guys so much uh, for chatting with us. No problem. Thanks for having us. It's just a really beautiful show. Um, so poignant, Uh you just did an amazing job.
1: Yes, thanks very much. And thanks for having us on. Appreciate it.
0: I want to just say just the the stuff that you guys are covering in this. I think it's stuff that we as a nation, you can see that whole generation and how impacted they are, the relationship they have with pain. And I think this got to the crux of the historical aspects of it, but really the heart and how it how it impacted people moving forward. And I think that's what's really sort of beautiful and unique.
1: I think, I mean, when we were starting on this process, myself and Fiona really wanted a lot of times history, I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of times history programs can tend to be a little bit over academic, a little bit dominated by facts and figures. And these are important, don't get me wrong, big events, but we want to come at it with a slightly different angle. And TG Cahar were very keen that we came out with a different angle. And Fiona had come up, hit upon the idea of looking at, because we had, a, we had a, we started with a series of interviews that had been carried out in 2012 with children of some of the people involved in the Civil War. And that was our kind of base, and of, uh, uh, 1916 actually, you're right, yeah, carried out with children involved in 1916. And the, the interviews had gone into other parts of their lives in, during the Revolutionary and, and Civil War period. Um, So I I mean, we were trying to figure out what's this story and I think Fiona hit upon the idea of this trauma because it was evident from these interviews that there was legacy issues going through then into that next generation and and that's kind of how the story kind of evolved Um, and then of course Fiona then took that and let Fiona talk a bit about that process of developing it and, and making it work and kind of getting it over the line with the broadcaster.
0: So, would you, Fiona, have been involved with putting together the pitch and then structuring it with them? Is it a no- negotiation or is it a call-out process? Tell me a little bit more about it.
2: So it was part of the TG Kahar BAI uh call-out process for 2021. And it was basically uh Brino Timon came to us. He had um started to uh to make a documentary called Polish Dina Rave Lode, which is children of the revolution. And he had to stop due to family circumstances. So he really wanted to finish it. So he came to us with um all of these interviews that he had shot and um, we had a look at it. And I met Brian for a chat and I was trying to figure out the best way of using these going forward because they were essentially meant for the centenary of 1916. And obviously we couldn't make a documentary about that because that's already been done. Um, so I just had a, a conversation with him and it was very obvious as well that you've got like these firsthand accounts. Um, and at the same time, I was watching Transparent, uh, which is a, a dark comedy series, but it also tells the story of intergenerational trauma from the Holocaust, and that's, I thought, well, nobody's really ever really explored that from the Irish point of view, from the point of view of the Civil War. Um. So that's basically where we came up with the idea. And so we pitched it into TG Cahar and Maureen Gunnan, who's our commissioning editor, she Really liked the idea. We weren't successful the first time, but uh, she encouraged us to kind of look at the 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 structure and the format of the program. So we repitched it for the next round, and then we were successful. So TG Kahar um put us forward for that BAI round of funding. But basically, um, Keith's been very modest there. It's Keith really kind of that his strength is documentaries. This is the first time really that I've produced documentaries, and he really just knocked everything into shape in terms of that pitch
0: Did you really start with a baptism of fire the the scope of it is enormous
2: <laughs> yeah that's probably naivety <laughs> it's, been, it's a great idea let's do it but it, but it, it's really it's been a, a real privilege to work on it as well I, I'm so the 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 heart that you're talking about it was I think originally when we had um, in the original script we had thought about doing reconstruction. And then in the first lot of interviews with the families, I just kind of felt, and and Keith actually said it to me before I could say it to him, but we felt that there was kind of like this authenticity to their stories and this emotion to how they tell their stories. And the truth in that is like, it's completely different from watching or or listening to an expert. And it felt that reconstruction would have been sort of like lying, you know, there would have been something really inauthentic about using reconstruction. So um, Keith sort of kind of came to me and we said, oh, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I'm so glad that you you've said that. And we explained it to Maura and she was completely on board as well. So, yeah.
1: I was just going to say, it's really important when you've got a fantastic commission editor like Maura back in the cor- in your corner, kind of uh, supporting you. And I think that's something that sometimes is underappreciated, having a, a really strong commissioning editor behind you and back in the project. And, you know, from that, you know, she's back, you know, she was worried about how we, whether we'd have enough coverage by choosing not to do drama recon, um, uh, but we found some fantastic family. The family archives, the the family's own collection of imagery, is, is just so startling and so beautiful that we felt it wouldn't do certain wouldn't do justice to the families by 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 create by trying to recreate moments in their lives. And it's also this, this lovely pointed quiet moments where we see the family after you know a third generation family member with somewhere that is associated with there. Parent's mm-hmm. story. Do you know what I mean? And I think that really, the kind of, you don't need Ram or recon for that because the human emotions in what they're experiencing when they're there. Um. So yeah, it was. It became very clear to me during that during that first day or two of interviews that I didn't think recon was the right way forward. Um. Actually, after we did the first family interview, I was like, right now we can't with Audrey Dolan. It was kind of Audrey. We interviewed Audrey first. Um, whose father, Emmett Dalton, was beside Michael Collins when he was shot. And I, I and it was after that, I was kind of him and thinking about it. But we've kind of gone down that road and it was only a little bit later. I said, no, we got it. We can't do, can't do drama recon. It won't work for this story.
0: As a viewer, one of the most poignant moments is. I, I, you can see when they're telling their parents story, they're starting to understand a little bit or they empathize more now maybe than when they had when they were younger like there's just there's a processing of the trauma and like i don't know if it's just something projected as a viewer or something you captured or 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 the way that they're telling the story that the the emotion is so raw in so many of those interviews but you can just see like they're they're giving those stories and it's it's they're really connecting to the stories of their parents, because I, I think and that's one of the things of the intergenerational trauma fallout where, you know, as as you grow older, you understand a little bit more about what you're, you know, what the other generation had to go through. And, you know, maybe things at the time where you had a very fixed view as a child, you're like, actually, it's so much more complex. And I think that's beautifully captured and so subtly captured through, um. Through the 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 way that you capture these um episodes. Um and Fiona, you talked a little bit about the the structure and about going back to to retweak the structure. I'm very interested to how you guys decided on this the chapters almost as they're presented. Like what how did you guys pull that together and and decide these are the ones we're gonna focus on? Because I presume you had a lot. <laughs>
2: That was and, Keith again. It was Keith, and, and we, we brought, it was Louise as well, some great
1: researchers. Yeah. yeah. And Louise, uh, a great, a great researcher. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was finding We had a whiteboard up in the office with names of family stories and, you know, that we want and which ones would work well. And we, we you know, there was a couple of stories where we actually went down the avenue of exploring and, and decided not to go with it in the end, even though they were very, very valid and strong stories. I mean, it became clear to me that episode two should purely be about. The women's experience of the Civil War because it was really, really obvious that they'd been written. Uh, oh, sorry, women's experience of the Revolutionary Period. Full stop. It was really clearly that they'd kind of been written out of it, and the ones who had, who had, who had been kind of talked about were the were always the widows of the martyrs, rather than the women who were actually in the TPO, Are later, you know, smuggling guns during the War of Independence. Are later spying on the Free State forces for coming upon who were almost. You know 90% went anti treaty because I think they saw themselves how the treaty could actually. Um, I and mean, this, polit- this isn't about whether the treaty was right or wrong, but they saw how the treaty could, in effect, have rolled back and did the freedoms that were and did yeah. roll back freedoms that were granted to them in through the 1916 proclamation.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the kind of fascinating things for me that I've just realized is that in less than 10 years all of these rights and things that had been fought for in 1916 were just thrown away and they've just disappeared and then not only were they uh, taken from them but the the women who had fought so hard for them were written out of Irish history as well and that's it's uh, like it's mind-boggling um
0: yeah And, and and definitely about that Control over women and how systemically it's there, and how you know it's all hands on deck, and we need everybody, and we really appreciate your service until you know the war is over, and then we go back to business as usual, and then you go back in your box, you know, and then like I mean that has happened with you know World War II, all those women making ammunitions in the factories, and then they're you know kind of sold the 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 modern dream of like a, a modernized. Householdhood and and that's where you're supposed to go back to and it's just it's just systemic.
1: Yeah, I mean that Mary talks about that brilliantly. Mary McAuliffe is a brilliant academic and we're we're checking out her work. Um, and she talks about that the cause of freedom was 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 wrapped up with the women's. Uh, Countess Markowitz talks about the three great causes, which is the the cause of the worker, the cause of the woman, and the cause of Irish freedom. And the worker and the woman were quickly dropped by the Yeats as Yates described at middle class Ireland. You know fumbling with the greasy, greasy penny in the tail.
2: Yeah. There's, there's in episode one, there's um a photograph of the first doll and there's, I think, four women in it. And then a few years later, there's a photograph of the neck of the doll and there's only one woman in it. And then a few years after that, there's no women in it until the fifties.
1: Yeah. That, that's kind of smart, it's in that photo when she dies at 27 mm. and then there's no one in when she dies at 27. You know, and it is, it's shocking. It is absolutely shocking. And it was funny. I was at a funeral of a woman who was a barrister, and she this and in seventy one she got married and had to give up. So it, it isn't that long ago that you had to give up your job when you got married. The marriage bar was still in place, so it just shows you for 50, 60 years of the Irish state, these the 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 kind of the betrayal continued. You know,
0: from home rule to Rome rule, <laughs> we know it well. Um, but you were saying as well that the like the stories that you picked and you couldn't always go with all of them. I'm curious as well. I know it's so long ago that the key players have passed on, but was there any conflicts there? You know, like, I mean, it's such a fraught history and, and you're telling sides. Was there any difficulty that you guys sort of came across um, legally or just ethically in presenting these stories?
2: I mean, there's maybe one or two stories that we had to drop or contributors that we had to drop because they just didn't want to take part and they didn't want that that story told or revisited. But for the the rest, I think we were always really conscious of how we approached it as well. And we're always such being transparent was incredibly important to us and bringing the families along with us is also important to us as well. So, um, so no because i i think that anyone who wasn't comfortable being part of it that, that that their story just wasn't told that's probably the right answer to that isn't it Keith, really
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah that's fair
2: mm.
0: cuz it's just interesting because again like it's so and you guys get such um beautiful uh interviews from like the, the kids from everyone involved i'm just how do you build that rapport because i do like a a generation as well you're kind of told not to talk about your feelings (laughs) would you would this be something you'd have to spend a lot of time with them where were were they kind of eager to open up and and have the stories you know be documented or did you find you had to kind of dig
2: no they they wanted to tell the stories I think and in some cases I think like they were just bursting to tell the stories too that the um which is brilliant that we can give them that platform as well and also keith knows this history inside out so like he's really great at developing that rapport as well
1: yeah and it was a case as well i think you know we did talk to everyone before we filled with we spent i spent a good bit of time uh louise the researcher firstly spoke some and then we would do a second call zoom call with uh, myself louise with the person and talk to them, so we kind of knew what they were going to talk about before we sat down on camera. And we then, beforehand, we kind of re- went through what kind of questions we'd be asking. We reassured them, and we made it because it's a very intimidating thing to have a camera shoved in your face. So we made sure we tried to make it as 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 um, uh, painless as possible. Um, some people took to it like completely natural. I mean, Aidan Larkin probably missed his calling as an actor, to be totally honest with you, because he's just a natural in front of the camera and visually he's a very striking individual himself. He he looks great on camera. Um, um and uh, so some of them came naturally, some of them some of them found it a little bit harder to 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 get into the flow of the interview. Um but once it happened, once they were there, it kind of it went it, it kind of went organically and and, and I don't like overanalyzing so i kind of let the questions flow a little bit and see where where the answers take us um rather than trying to be very specific about i want this and i want that um because i i that's just my interviewing style it's just the way i've developed over the years but everyone has their own different way of how they want to do it um but it seemed to work well for this project
0: and there's so there's again it's it's so structured and, and you kind of cover such a a, a, such a, a great scope of things was you you said you dropped things maybe because they weren't panning out but were there any darlings that you had to cut for time or because they didn't fit in thematically
1: yeah what <laughs> the I'm cutting at the moment I'm gutted about we went to Israel and filmed with Daniel no! Brisco. Yeah, who's, who's, yeah. No, we, we're keeping it in. Don't worry, we? we're not cutting that. Yeah, but there's yeah. a great story that came out when we were filming in Israel, and we just don't have time to fit it into the story because his story, this Daniel uh, Daniel Briscoe's grandfather Robert Briscoe was fun, a fascinating man. I mean, there's a documentary in him on his own, and it was a case with him was like, what story? What you know? There's so much going on there. Including you know his work trying to rescue people, uh, smuggle people out of Germany during the Holocaust, to his role in stopping a civil war in Israel, and it kind of was a case of what can we and and never mind his own backstory as a refugee, as the child of a refugee, escaping pogroms in Russia in the late nineteenth century, settling in Dublin, the father building a family, you know, living on the Keys, not far from where we're editing right now, to you know going into politics you know, being the only Jewish person in in the Doyle for a long time, um, uh, being the only Jewish person involved in politics uh and uh and so find trying to find his fit some historians really hard. The same we have the same issue with um the story of 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 Kathleen Brown, who we feature in episode two, because Kathleen Brown in the thirties is really involved in trying to stop the constitution, trying to, you know, get rid of the um uh, the the parts of the constitution that are uh, restricting women's rights, and again, we just couldn't fit that in. We 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 allude to it, but we couldn't go into her role. In that I mean, she also was a blue shirt, which we did and slightly fascist. Which we also didn't want to go into. <laughs> but you know, there's not, oh, there's bits. I mean, again, it's something we couldn't get it fit in because that I thought was quite interesting as well. Her move from being quite left wing pol- politically in the nineteen sixteen to twenty two period. To moving to the right, which I know happens as you get older, um. So there's the stuff like that that you couldn't we couldn't fit in because we just didn't have time in each episode, you know.
0: God, and oh, there's wow. such a wealth there. So you um have a feature coming out yourself, Keith. <laughs> Can you... Yeah. So <laughs> there's there's plenty to mine in here. I would watch a series, uh, if if you're talking about <laughs> dramatizing sections. Are you tempted at all to you know?
1: I'd love to do so. the Ryan. I'd love to do the Ryan's <laughs> daughters as a drama. I think it's it's just it, they fascinate me completely. The Ryan family, will feature in episode two. They fascinate me as a family. Um, they're like this kind of farming Irish farming stock that become integral to the revolutionary period and have been largely Wexford
2: farming stock.
1: Wexford farming stock as well. I gotta be <laughs> yes, sorry, Fiona, Crikey, Wexford farming stock that have been written out of the, the, the story completely as well to some extent. And I'm also very fascinated by my, my features about. An Irish family in Britain. I have a fascination with the Irish in Britain because they're the kind of they're the forgotten about immigrant, Irish immigrants. We go on about our Irish Americans, and Joe Biden comes home, you know what I mean. But people forget Tony Blair's mother was Irish, and there's a huge, you know, you know, we 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 kind of ignore our Americans. So I have a bit of a fascination with it, which is why the feature which Fiona exec produced and 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 really was key in our editing process to getting the story um the way we wanted it. Um she right she gets she under-sells herself a little bit on the feature. She was a really vital part of that exec producer as an exec producer on it. Um, but it was I really wanted to f- focus on this Irish family that wasn't your typical Irish British family, but but I, I thought interests me and it's something I'd love to mine into and explore more. And there's huge numbers of Irish who left Ireland after the revolutionary period, anti-treaty primarily, but there was a few pro-treaty who didn't fit in. And 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 I think there's that that story needs to be mined as well. So you see a trend there emerging, you know.
0: Yeah, like I, I see a Netflix special I emerging, I
1: think. <laughs> I wish.
2: Yeah. I, I'd love to hear more on the Robert Briscoe story. I think that that, that would be amazing as well. Just the more yeah. I talk about that. There. I
0: d- don't know. And scope for CoPro, I think. Yes, it's international.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, German, Israeli, Irish, UK, there's an American angle to it as well. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't even talked about his American, American side to his story. I mean, he's just an amazing character.
2: JFK references him in one of his election speeches. Like yeah, yeah it, it, he's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, amazing character.
0: So I look forward to to catching that. But that that's a that's a very exciting thing. <laughs> so there was um you guys have a lot of stock footage, you've a lot of coverage, you've a lot of um like beautiful caught locations. Um and, and you went to Israel, how do you manage a budget and to get all the stories told so visually and so wonderfully on top of all this? I think that's probably Fiona. Well, um,
2: I think one of the things was the, the decision not to have reconstruction gave us um, um, more budget to use towards archive footage and also gave us additional shoot days. And we had Eleanor Bowman was shooting for us in like she's amazing she did such an amazing job on this and I, it's it, it that's why it looks so cinematic it's eleanor brought that w- with her as well and then um it also gave us the opportunity to keep an archive researcher on for longer so we had a lot more time to to research and really do a really good hard long look for a new and interesting archive that's not been seen before and then also having access to the family archive was were re- was really important as well so and um, Bree Drowdy then is editing it and they both like like both Eleanor and Brie to really elevated the whole thing, I think. Would you agree, Keith?
1: I totally agree, but I, I want to shout out for Emily Goodson as well. Our, oh, yes, she, she's found incredible archive. Yeah. Like she's has been amazing. She's done a really incredible job. Uh on her first time kind of going being an archive researcher as well. Um and she's just found incredible. And there was a wealth of stuff she dug out of the IFI, the Irish Film Archive, you know, people give their home movie footage to the IFI and, and it's some beautiful stuff. And we managed to find stuff that was relevant to our story. And then we were really fortunate that um, Lisa Mulcahy, mm. the director, had actually done a documentary at the start of her career about her grandfather and she was able to access f- some of that family footage f- for us and, and give it to our, us for the use of the production as well. So, yeah, we were we were very, very fortunate in our... Uh, and and actually, actually, interestingly enough, the Larkin family were avid home cinema at home, Super 8, cinema goers cinema makers so they they had a lovely you know they filmed everything so they had she, you know it's, it was we were very lucky in that respect that our members of different families had kept huge amounts of their own family archive and their fa- their family history and I, I you know I hope that, that 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 you know when they're looking where to place that they they think about the IFI as a home for it because it's a really really it's a brilliant resource we have I mean I can't praise them enough the IFI they're under resourced but they do a remarkable job yeah
2: they've been super helpful on this as well like they, they they've been amazing and then also cahill waters shot the original interviews in 2011 and 2012 so what breen and cahill shot was just a, it was an amazing leaping off point to have
0: as well so yeah, yeah. i think we, we with some brilliant crew on this yeah and actually yeah. The, i saw there was you know you captured some interviews that you wouldn't have been able to have captured today which was lovely to look back on
1: yeah yeah.
0: So, And I think you do a really wonderful job and sort of I, I also think that's probably why this is the only time this could have been made. You know, like if you'd left it another five years or if, if it hadn't gone through, like a lot of very important voices might have been lost.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think we're we're at fourth stage where there were still some of the children and, and the grand and the grandchildren. Or around alive and able to talk about it and then we had, and Breen had very fortunately captured some of the children that are no longer with us on camera at the towards the end of their life at the right time um, because they would have been lost um, and, the, and and their their voices disappeared as well so yeah we were very very fortunate in that respect um, you're right I think five years later I don't think this could have been made um, I mean it, it, it ties nicely with the anniversary as well at the end of the civil war of course which helps
0: and it's again it's it, the pacing i think is something that you guys uh, capture so beautifully um just tell me a little bit about the post process cuz there's a lot of um spinning plates there's a lot of stories there's a lot of kind of chapters to get through um how did that work how did the workflow of that work even
1: um Well, i start every project with a kind of story plan for each doc uh, and then i make a a a, a script, a, a shooting script in effect, obviously. Um, <coughs> that's my starting point. When I went in, I did a paper edit on every episode. So before Breed started, she, I had a paper edit done to um, make sure we would all the coverage we needed, the stories were working. And then Breed would take that paper edit, we'd pull in the interviews, it was always all running over, and we'd cut it down. And that's, and mm-hmm. in that stage, we were able to, at that point, myself and Breed right, right. is this story working? Should we move that over to there? Is that story getting that? Are we Dude, can we can we fit this bit of the story in? Which was the biggest. We were, you know, it's like cutting those moments, these brilliant stories out because we just don't have time to tell them. It was one of the hardest process. And then you know we kind of sit back and look and and think, okay, what what are, is the flow? Before we even start picturing up and musicing, is that flow working? Are we getting those peaks and troughs that for the audience that you know because it could be could be unremittingly grim. You need moments of lightness. You know what I mean. You know, even even in the that Briscoe story, there's a great, very funny story about people not understanding that he's Jewish. Do you know what I mean? They're like, you know, when he's, feet of, he's there and finding a feet of foil and there's a guy going, and your man's going, like, we, well, you know, they're going, but what? Why did you not go to Mass? And he's like, Jewish, I don't go to Mass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's that kind of thing, you know? So they, you need those moments of lightness as well. And so it's like, we, we, we have to, be able to sit back and make sure that kind of, that, that, those ebbs and flows that isn't all dark, dark, dark. There's moments where you're, you're cheering on characters are you are you are you amazed at their are sent their ability to forgive and i think the stephen fuller case is a brilliant yeah. case that as is the o'higgins i mean it, you know is um you know higgins o'malley's stories fascinating i mean there's two really interesting stories of you know t- severe trauma within their families um both yet managed to find stephen fuller as a victim of state-sponsored you know um not terrorism but uh, what we call it a a a, a um extrajudicial killing attempted extrajudicial killing in a war crime is able to forgive the people and work with the people who who may have taken taken part of that and then una higgins o'malley is able to forgive the people who who murdered her father uh in the name of the republic and not only that then begin and try and use her loss to heal rifts in the conflict of northern ireland which is an extension in itself of the civil war do you know what i mean
2: Una O'Higgins O'Malley, her story goes back to her grandmother, who like that that it goes back that far in the family that uh, she probably knew who had assassinated her husband, but she never spoke out about it because she didn't want reprisals or retaliation. I think it's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's so much tragedy in that family. For you know, the, Kevin O'Higgins' father is murdered during the Civil War. Kevin O'Higgins is murdered in 1927 when the war is long since over. But obviously the bitterness still remains and and yet to be able to, you know, forgive twice is, is so remarkable. She lost her husband, you know, and, and it was led by Mrs. O'Higgins, Thomas uh, Kevin's mother, who that idea of forgiving forgiveness was led by uh, uh, Una's grandmother. Carried on by Una's mother, so that's Kevin O'Higgins' wife, and Anuna took carried it on into her life and and lived by those that that idea of forgiveness. And she experienced some some very traumatic moments herself on that journey. Um, you know, she discovered that one of O'Higgins' killer danced on his grave. So you know, and that kind of that must have been very traumatic for her. You know what I mean? But she, mm-hmm. at the end, she was able to put that behind her. And
0: but it's so close to home for everybody, you know, like Ireland is a very, very small place. And some of these towns are well, that's why I think there was there was one anecdote about about one of the killers and an assassination, you know, kind of revealing afterwards what the last words were. And it was very poignant, like it was a very beautiful like scene for forgiveness that you know we want to move forward and I think I think in in some ways even though some of the stories are like grim (laughs) like so grim like I'm still I'm still sort of haunted by um about where where people were describing the 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 trees afterwards and and the substance left on the trees like I still was thinking about that days afterwards but then i think there's a real humanity and um and a, and a sort of healing process that that is in process as well um from like that that is and a hopefulness in the in the tone of that i just wonder was that like something that was conscious that would that you were aiming
1: towards and i think in the when we did research process Myself and Louise were thinking we you know, particularly episode one, we needed to get that sense of reprisal and reconciliation. Reconciliation was always that, even though it is the, the title might be called reprisal, it was really reprisal and reconciliation. And it was about getting on an understanding that 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 power of forgiveness was so, so important. And in episode two, we look at the power of healing within, you know, we look at one family split by the civil war, which was such a common thing. And we look at the power of healing and, and the power of being able to move beyond your traumas uh, and in episode three, which looks at the disillusionment and be, people who, had, you know, there's a great story, Maury McSweeney Brewer who's lost her father. was Terence McSweeney. Her mother basically pretty much abandoned her in Germany. And, and when she returned to Ireland, um, there was a court case over her and she uh, chose to stay with her aunt. And her mother refused to speak to her ever again. And yet even in that, there was she, uh, her husband Rory Brewer, who was Cahill Brewer's, so there was this sense of a uh, lot working for something better. You know, Carl Brew had joined the IRA. Moira McSweeney Brew was well aware of her background as a martyr and could have used that for Republicans, but she what she didn't want anything to do with it. She wanted to, you know, they they became um pillars of the state in effect, but also pillars of that idea of moving beyond that. And there's too much bitterness. And even today, there's still this legacy of the civil war that some people carry on. And it does nothing but spreads hate. And I love the fact that there's, they were able to move beyond you know, there's these really great stories of redemption, not redemption, that's the wrong term to use, really great stories of being able to take that trauma and turn it into something positive, whether it was, you know, Briscoe using his experience as a gun runner to save lives. Keela composed the music, they did an incredible job. So that it's kind of very haunting. We wanted something that wasn't your typical history television music, which is all very bombastic. And Kia created these beautiful, this beautiful haunting piece pieces that kind of uh, I think really tie the stories together in the three in all three episodes. Um and the other key thing is elements who are our post production to have done a really fantastic job. You know, there's a lot of archive to jest. There's a lot of material to jest. They've just been brilliant at taking everything and making it work for us and making the workflow work.
0: And it's it's very like again, the the pacing is great. It's very exciting to watch. And actually Fiona, I want to talk to you a little bit about um you have a lot of very you mentioned Breed, Emily, Lisa, you've strong women behind the camera. You focus a lot on um strong women in the narrative. I'm I'm just curious, is that is is that are you uh, Keith a natural feminist or was there women at play behind the scenes as well, engineering that? I think um
2: when we were putting the crew together and when we were researching the stories, that was definitely at the back of our mind to make sure that we had that we that we told women's stories and that we had women on the crew as well. And um, I think that's how both of us would approach any project, just make sure that there's kind of equal representation in front of and behind the camera, um, because I think you need to do that in order to tell good stories
0: yeah definitely that's it's very strong throughout it that that strong female narrative like episode two especially i think does a really nice job but even your experts yeah you've got like strong authoritative voices of women who are experts on on the field telling these very um human stories with a lot of empathy as well which was lovely yeah
1: Yeah, and and, i mean i've worked with bridge before never worked with elder before but um Fiona sang her praises. And my brother Colin's a location manager to work with her on Lisa Mulcahy's uh, feature, first first feature film. So I knew her by reputation um, and uh, was really excited about getting an opportunity to work with her, her. Her stuff is visually very interesting and very stunning. And it uh, really lifts elevates the film a lot. And then the other thing, I mean, Breed and myself have a good work relationship. We'd worked before, so I kind of knew that in, in the edit, it's kind of useful to have someone who knows your shorthand as well. I don't know, uh, I mean, um, with regards... Our contributors we, we just we looked for the best people we possibly could and I think there's again there's a there's a, a part of that Irish academic tradition that has la- largely overlooked women academics and their work they're carrying out and so I thought this we, we it was really important that we both myself and Fiona and Louise who was researching us uh, our research with us at the start of the project felt it was really important that we balance on screen as much as possible but also brought some of this new that this research probably hasn't been brought light to light as well There's you, there's such a big scope for this but just say
0: money wasn't an issue or you got greenlit for more episodes Was is there more you would have liked to have covered is there you know is there like a, an avenue you would have gone down had you been able to
1: <laughs> We always want an extra episode <laughs> <laughs> There's so many stories I'd love to that we had couldn't tell or I'd love to have been able to tell um, if you know, one more episode I think would have been brilliant to maybe explore some of the other, some of the kind of lesser told tales of the civil war as well. But you know, we're very grateful to be able to make this and uh, have a three part series, yeah. you know, and for TJ Carr to fact us and Mara to fact it so much. Do you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, to- I totally agree with Keith. I think, um, it, it was great to have this opportunity and, um, yeah, I'm super proud to have been part of telling those stories as
0: well. I think it's been a kind of privilege. Looking back now on your first documentary project, which is enormous, how do you um, how do you feel now? Uh, tired. Was there anything <laughs> that you'd go back and go, oh my god?
2: Yeah. Uh, there's definitely I'm informed what to expect and how I would change the workflow a bit more. Um, but I, I I've learned a huge amount on it but um that would be the only thing i would change is to how i would tweak the workflow but nothing else i think we had an amazing crew.
0: and as a, a sort of production point of view what would you see as being the number one um differences and adjustments going from one format to another
2: um i i think um timing on getting scripts transcribed I think with, that was a huge thing that uh, um I kind of underestimated um and I I kind of I'm used to more working on scripted content so I look I work on it the other way around so that was a bit of a that was a learning thing for me
1: yeah I think when you're the when you're because uh, I've, I've done, doing, worked on Boat, I think the key that, 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 that some people don't really struggle, it, it could be, if people don't realize how hard it can be in documentary t- t- making because the story can evolve in a way you never expect and things can you can discover things that you've never planned for, but you kind of have to adjust for and, and work towards and change as you're going along. And I think that could be the biggest challenge sometimes is that is that sense of, oh, you know, when you got a script, you kind of know where A to B is going to be. You know, you know how to get from A to B, but with documentaries, sometimes you find yourself at C instead.
0: And is there anything now, what would be a natural progression from this for you? Would it be um, a part two for the series and go back to the era is there another area that you'd like to cover? Would it be to dramatise it? What would be your next, like, if if you were to get exactly what you put your hat in the ring for? I think I'd
2: lo- I I'd love to make the documentary about Robert Briscoe. I think that's an amazing co-production, and I think that it's such a brilliant story. Um, and yeah and maybe tell a bit more about women's history in Ireland as well I think there's there's other angles on that that I'd love to explore
0: oh yeah definitely I think I yeah because there's like that's one of thing that it goes really into like the the kind of personalities behind and it really is enjoyable to to kind of immerse yourself as as a viewer in that and but I think again while always coming back to the humanity and the the people behind it. And it's not like a series, a litany of descriptions of events. It's really the impact, which is, which is done so beautifully.
1: Keith. Yeah, I'd love to do something a bit. I, I agree with Robert Briscoe. It, it's a great untold story, Irish story. I'd love to, I love my, I'd love to do project, a project, a documentary project on, on exploring the social history of Ireland, but through ordinary people, uh, every, you know, people's experiences and lives like we did with, with trauma, in a in a way, kind of, uh, I love those kind of brilliant individual stories that can tell us the bigger story. Um, and then, in, and and on the drama front, I'm really keen to do something about the Irish of Britain. I really want to do mm. a story about the Irish of Britain.
0: Brilliant. So funders take heed. <laughs> <laughs> that I would I would definitely watch, uh, having seen those the two the first two episodes, and which go which are on air on Wednesday the thirty first
2: yep. at half nine on TG Cacher. on TG
0: Cacher, So people can people can watch the first mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So after watching them, I would definitely I would definitely sign up to both of those and add them to my watch list. Um, So thank you so much for chatting with us. That was absolutely brilliant and well done. I'm sure you'll get you'll have a lot to celebrate once they're up online.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Gemma.